For August 16th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 685. What do people her age say? It's different. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like the family you choose, except uh, we're all in a car together on a big car trip, and we're going to save the world through podcasting and also very, very fast editing and uh, Snapchat filters, or what are they called in Snapchat? Lenses. Lenses. That's what that's what'll get me in with the with Generation Z. I know what a Snapchat lens is, bestie. Hey, I'm your bestie, Matt Rather. Here's my here's my bestie, Pete Fenzel. Go off. <laughs> yes, Queen. Yes. Yes, Queen. I'm going off. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm uh, delighted. Delighted to to speak to you and also to speak to my bestie, Mark Lee. Go off. Uh, Hundo P, my dudes. Hundo P. <laughs> um, listen, uh, we watched uh, Mitch vs. Machines on Netflix for this uh, for this podcast. It is an animated film uh, on uh, that is on Netflix, and um, it's about a family taking a road trip. In a way, it's about a family taking a road trip, and uh, all the all the shenanigans that that happen on the road trip. But Mark, you you uh, brought this to our attention. Can you explain it uh, in slightly more detail than that? And uh, why it caught your eye and uh, how we came to be talking about it today. Sure thing. Well, um, long-time listeners of this podcast might know that I have a certain interest in the robot apocalypse subgenre of uh, grand narrative and storytelling. Mm. Um, you know, primarily stemming from Terminator, but uh, you know, going all sorts of different places. And um, this movie is a robot apocalypse story for sure. I mean, like you know, machine uprising, artificial intelligence, what have you. There are killer robots in this movie is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Um, and so okay, I automatically file that into the Marcus interested bin. Um, and add on top of that as well, um, the, uh, the Lord and Miller angle on this, right? Phil Lord, Chris Miller are not, they were not directors on this, but they uh, produced this. And I just kind of like caught wind through the internet that this had their fingerprints all over it um, in terms of their wit and their style, um, the aesthetic style in particular, right? Which uh, owes a lot to spite into the spider verse. Um, and so I was very predisposed uh, to to be into this, and I happened to watch this um, while on a family trip of my own with my two very small children, um, who are not quite of the age of the teenage protagonist, who um, has kind of you know gone all the way to the other side and is very alienated uh, in an adolescent way from her parents, who just really don't understand her, you know, <laughs> guys, right? Like all that all that stuff. Um, and so, uh, and, and, and maybe it's just like, because I was sleep deprived or because I'm particularly feeling, you know, uh, 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 you know, the, the parenting feelings to my, to my children, but this movie just like really resonated into all the boxes for me. And like, uh, the, the, all the, the family dynamics of this are, are very well done. And the, um, technology pieces of it are good enough to, uh, engage interest and to tell a story that like certainly engages with all of our kind of. You know, this, this grand discourse that we're having about uh, technology society, right? And it's corrupting for us and also it's enabling for us and all that kind of stuff. I don't think quite like, you know, uh, sticks a, a three-point superhero landing at the very end with some, uh, you know, really coherent statement about technology and society. But um, it has, you know, gets plenty of laughs, um, you know, that 
uh, our mind from you know the vast pop culture treasure trove we have of our you know killer robot types of stories um and really enjoyable if uh you i, I would wager that if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy things like terminator movies the lego movie uh ninja the spider verse that you would also enjoy this although i might be um uh i might understand that um some of my fellow podcasters maybe didn't like kind of like were fully taking to this in the same way that i was so i would love to hear what you guys have to think about this Oh, well, like, Mark, I have the, I have the, like, the high sentimentality of, like, uh, of a, you know, seven or eight year old. So, like, you know, like, cute puppies and things like that make me cry and stuff. So, like, all the, and what I found was sort of, well, I'm getting probably a little ahead of myself, but sort of moment to moment, right? Uh, there, at a, at a micro level, actually, sort of like Zootopia. Zootopia is another movie that I said something similar mm-hmm. about. At mm-hmm. a micro level, uh, a lot of stuff was really great. And then I think when you kind of try to cash out some of the, some of the implications, you might, you might, uh, it might give lie to some of the, like, the enjoyment moment to moment, um, that you had, which is not to say that it, it invalidates the, you know, right? Like these, these things aren't one thing. Like a movie isn't one thing. It's, uh, it's, you know, um, it's several things and, and, uh, it's definitely a killer robot story. But I, I think it's, it's worth going into a little bit the, the, the plot in a little more detail. Spoiler alert for Mitchell's versus the machines. So, you know, what we discover a family with a, um, with, uh, you know, a married mother and father and a son and a daughter who, uh, also have a dog, like a, a little pug or, uh, you know, um, some, some sort of small kind of funny looking yappy dog. Right. And, uh, and the, the daughter seems to have like an extreme version of normal teenage alienation, right? Like, see, it has to have like an extreme version of, um, my, of like, oh, my family doesn't get me. They don't, you know, I'm right. And, and a little bit, she's like a 17 year old or 18 year old with the problems of a 14 year old, right? Like with this sort of the, the, uh, you know, the developmental tasks of a, of a 14 year old, you know, my family doesn't get me, but like, to a great extent, she's also right, right? Like, uh, her, her father doesn't seem to really know anything about who she is and doesn't value, uh, the things that she values or the things that she's good at and, and very good at. Like, uh, she's, you know, so this daughter makes like funny films within a, you know, kind of like sweeting type of style, you know, fun, low budget type of things using, but then like uses, you know, uh, like the Apple pro Apple creative suite effects pretty well to like create the fun little YouTube videos. And it's apparently like nationally known, right? Like is, is a ranked YouTuber, you know? So it's not like she's into something dumb. Like she's into, she's very prominent <laughs> in a, you know, in a, uh, in a culturally important and economically powerful, um, uh, community of publishers. And like, you know, her dad is like, no, why aren't you into camping? You know, why aren't you into, <laughs> right? Like, and, or, and or even uh, like, like, why don't you have a back? Why aren't you considering something more practical, like accounting? Sure. Yeah. And that, and like, um, a, a little bit like, and that, that's a, that's a common, that's a common like careers in the arts thing. It's what David Mamet said, uh, the best advice you can give to someone who's considering a career in the arts is to say, um, 
have something to fall back on. Uh, the real artists will never take that advice. And uh, the ones who do will inevitably fall back on it and save themselves the rigors of yeah. an artistic life. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the, um, yeah. So, so she gets into a, like an uh, artsy Los Angeles type of school. The, the silhouette of the building looks like the, the kind of big tower at UCLA that's in all the logos of UCLA, but it seems more like a Cal arts kind of school where they're going to have like an artsy animation program. Actually, you know, shout out to my alma mater, uh, UCLA theater, film and television, really good animation program there as well. Um, but the, uh, you know, she's, she's like, and she's just so glad to be rid of her family. She's going to go away to college. Like she's, she's so ready for it. She's going and, to find her people, which right. is a phrase that keeps coming up. Yeah, exactly. And that like, she's, uh, and you know, the very last night, you know, the dad does something like boorish and, and, you know, sort of insensitive and like tries to make everyone, you know, I don't know, act out, like perform family as he understands it to be. And she's just like, so, oh, and ends up like breaking her laptop by like wrestling it away from her. Like, no, don't do that. Do this. And it goes flying and, you know, smashes into a million pieces on the ground. And, uh, so she's going to fly away and like, it, you know, it's going to be a bad, uh, a bad experience, except the next morning, the dad has canceled her plane ticket without canceled the plane ticket of this supposed adult without yeah. telling her. Right. And, uh, piled the family into the car and dictates that they're going to go on a road trip to her school for, because that's a fun family thing and camping. Um, and, uh, and in the middle of it, the robot apocalypse happens. And so the, the road trip becomes a mission to, to save the world from, uh, from the robot apocalypse. And, you know, some of the more sinister things about the family dynamic get, um, get, uh, you know, I don't know, glossed over because they all uh, start to do, they all kind of band together to defeat the robots. It's worth talking about the robot apocalypse story, but maybe we can pause here on the, the family story uh, a little bit. Pete, I'll, I'll bet you're raring to jump in. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, I was going to jump into the robot apocalypse one, but I can pause and talk about the family story. Um, you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about what I was going to talk about and it will dovetail and connect because I think it's important, Right. Uh, and here's here's the intersection. Here's the intersecting part of the Venn diagram. They are presented as a dysfunctional family who need to kind of band together and learn how to like each other and get along and appreciate each other in order to save the world. So it's got like a what a spy kids kind of like premise. Right. Or what are some examples of something that's kind of like this, like zombie land? Right. Where it's like, well, they don't get along and they have kind of sitcom problems. But you know, they need to survive in this extreme situation. And the expectation going into the movie is that the robot apocalypse will serve as this absurd thing that will uh, kind of put into stark contrast the actual more minor problems that they have, like as a family. Right. And uh, and the things there and and also the ways in which they don't get along will be played for laughs because the whole thing will lack a groundedness. That's my expectation going into this. I'm trying to I feel like I've seen movies like this a lot, um, but I, it's one of those things where you feel like you've seen a ton of them, but it's actually only been Time Cop. It's only been Time Cop, but I've seen it 347 <laughs> times. I know there are a lot of other movies that are like Time Cop. I just haven't watched them. I've just watched Time Cop a whole bunch of times. Oh, but I mean, like, there's so many movies, like, even something like Spaceballs is kind of this story, right? Where it's like a whole bunch of people that don't really get along and have 
social problems end up in a car together against the backdrop of some crazy evil empire, right? I mean, the, there was a Forrest Whitaker movie that I watched off of Netflix also. Uh, did we even podcast? Did we not podcast about that one? Or uh, The Forrest uh, Whitaker movie? Yeah, there was this there was this very dry uh there's this very dry I'm like clacking on my keyboard which I really shouldn't do. It was a movie called How It Ends that came out 3 years ago, which is pretty similar in content in the in the sort of uh premise to this movie, but also similarly I thought veers off of what you would expect from its premise, right? So the premise of the Forrest Whitaker movie How It Ends is that Forrest Whitaker's daughter it's Forrest Whitaker, in case you don't know, is black, right? He is in this movie as well, right? Um, and his daughter is in love with a white guy, and they're going to get married, right? Um, and the daughter uh, has to go and – and Forrest Whitaker lives in New York, I think. It was a long time ago I saw this movie. And so they're visiting Forrest Whitaker like for the holidays or something, and the daughter has to go back early. So the fiancé is, is like ends up staying with Forrest Whitaker kind of by himself, and in that moment, the apocalypse happens, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, we need to drive cross country, just the two of us, because we both want to save my daughter, your fiance, like from whatever horrible thing is happening in this apocalypse, right? And it ends up being like a pretty dark and sad movie. Like it doesn't really have the kind of whimsy that you would think from like Forrest Whitaker and some random underwear model, like cruising at 120 miles an hour in a Cadillac CTSV through the American West. Uh, but it's the same idea where it's like, there's this very small scale family dynamic that is being played out against the backdrop of this very large scale sci-fi thing. Right. Independence Day is probably the most obvious one. Right. Um, but the Mitchells versus the machines is not like this. And and I and it doesn't feel like it to me anyway. And I think there are two sides to why it's not like this. One of them, which I will demure talking about for now, is that the robot apocalypse is different than you might expect it to be. Right. It's happening for different reasons. And the reasons the robot apocalypse is happening are worth talking about. But the other side of it is that the Mitchells aren't like lovable, dysfunctional family, right? I, I would posit that the Mitchells are like – this movie is like riding the line between being a sci-fi adventure and being a straight-up horror movie because the Mitchells have like pretty serious character flaws in how they treat each other that are beyond the level of like Malcolm in the Middle or National Lampoon's Vacation in terms of like – their awareness of it, how it's commented on and like how absurd it's played as. Right. So like, you know, the, you know, Brian Cranston and Malcolm in the middle is a different sort of dad than Brian Cranston in breaking bad. They both do terrible things. Right. But in Malcolm in the middle, you laugh at them. Right. Because it's not played as if this is something that's actually really bothering somebody. It's all sort of like it's campy. It's performative and puppetish, Right. And so you don't necessarily really think that Frankie Munez is like, earnestly and deeply in his soul suffering uh, from the stupid things that his dad is always doing. Right. Um, and so like, but with the Mitchells, the things that they are, that are, that are wrong with the way they treat each other felt like really serious to me, especially the way the dad acts, especially the reasons the dad acts the way he acts and how he takes it out on his daughter. Right. Which felt like creepy and sad and like also sort of off base for how old these characters are supposed to be. Right. Um, but, but like, like sort of self-commenting and kind of dark, but I guess to, to more, to more kind of pare it down 
and to kind of Downton Abbey moment it, right? I think that one of the big ways, spoilers, right, for Mitchells versus the machines, that they manage to defeat the machines is that the machines, they basically um, capture them, right? And that the machines can't tell whether their dog is a dog or a pig or a loaf of bread because it's this weird looking dog. And because they can't identify it using their image recognition technology, it shorts them out, right? And they blow up and they die. Uh, I kind of think the Mitchells are like that too, in that they are a dysfunctional family, I suppose, but it's like, are they dysfunctional in the sense that they're unsympathetic and they're really and they're really bad for each other and they shouldn't be together? Are they really like a problem? Right. Or are they dysfunctional in the sense of like we're all kind of laughing together and they're trying and they have good intentions. Right. And it's like something that's teaching us something about ourselves. And there's like there's self-conscious hyperbole in it and a sense of lightness and relief that comes from them at the end, learning a real valuable lesson about, you know, how to treat each other. Right. And it just it feels like it kind of rides the line between the Mitchells should die because they are exhibiting character flaws characteristic of people who get murdered in horror movies like in us right which is another movie that's similar to this movie um in in its overall superstructure right it's about family units that are caught up in this like crazy absurd sci-fi fantasy scenario and are trying to survive right um this is i'm, I'm naming it right it's us it's not them it's called uh, the 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 um jordan peele movie jordan peele. Us. Jordan follow on to get yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 like follow up to get out right it's like it's another movie about a family trying to survive against the backdrop of like a crazy crisis that questions their identity and who they are right them them um, by contrast is a, a creature horror film about giant ants created by nuclear testing uh, yes 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 it's uh it's fantastic and i commend it to you but it is not quite in the league of the, the movies that we're talking about <laughs> Um, and I don't think there's a movie called Y'all, just Googling it quickly. Maybe you guys will find it. Um, <laughs> but but yes, so so I guess what I would say is that the degree, the the level of lack of concern and callousness of Mr. Mitchell, um, who is voiced by somebody big. I, I should have uh, memorized Dan, Danny McBride. Danny McBride, right? Yeah. yeah. Danny McBride, who plays a boorish jerk. In, in most of the stuff that he does. And the point of most of Danny McBride's comedy is that his boorish jerk gets his comeuppance and you learn something about the way that society is supposed to work by watching somebody be humiliated for not caring about other people, right? Um, even up to and including Alien Covenant, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's, this is what Danny McBride characters do. But Mr. Mitchell never gets his comeuppance. He never really gets forced to learn a lesson. He gets rewarded for being really, really kind of mind-bogglingly callous, given the degree of self-awareness and discussion and conversation that the family seems capable of having on like a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like both the mom and the dinosaur-obsessed kid have like therapy interventions with their family members, which you can't imagine this is the first time this has ever happened. Sure. Right. So like so in order for no, the they dad, seem, they seem yeah. very skilled. Right. Like these are yeah, well worn. Yeah. These are like well trodden paths that the, that, the you know, in kind of enabling the, the um, you know, maladaptive or kind of antisocial behavior of the, the other two members of the family. Yeah. 
the contrast to that would be something like a Christmas story, which is also a similar sort of movie, right? Wherein like a family that is dysfunctional is trying to get along with this vast supernatural force that's bringing presents to all the children of the world, right? <laughs> Once a year, all in one night. It's crazy, right? Uh, but, but, and uh, yeah, and in this one, of course, nobody does shoot their eye out, but that's only because they're all wearing glasses. Um, but yes, like in a Christmas story or in the Wonder Years, the callous, the oppressive callousness of the father figure is explained by the fact that he has no skills, right? He is from a generation that did not learn as men the basic gist of being kind to other people, right? Like, uh, like just in a basic way, right? And it's also being told from the perspective of a child. So there's a degree to which it's being like hyped up, right? But if you were to go through the continuum of like, on one hand, there's Independence Day where Randy Quaid is a terrible father, right? And, and intervenes in negative ways in his family's life constantly, but is like highly apologetic and gets like a moment of like repudiation and repentance at the very end, where he sort of gets a reconciliation of who he was the whole time, right, with his kids, and they come to kind of understand and, and appreciate him for what he did. And mainly it's because he took himself out of the center, right, uh, by going into the center of the alien spaceship. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know, or, like, or yeah. you know, Bruce Willis in Armageddon is a similar yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of sort of story, right? Like where uh, where he sort of appropriately sabotages Ben Affleck so that he has to go back to live Tyler, and uh, and uh, Bruce Willis will and will sacrifice himself. Right. This is like even though he's been you know not not super welcoming to, to it's been a little gruff and like whatever. Like he he. Um, he understands. He like appreciates the like the proper role of the generations, right? And the pro the yeah. kind of the proper role of of kind of uh, a parent vis a vis sacrifice and your your own your own child. Whereas anyway, in this situation, uh, yeah. when sorry, when this situation, I'll just catch this up by saying one thing: in case people are listening who haven't seen the movie, there's a scene. The robots are tracking everybody through their cell phones, right? And the deal with this dad, just to really catch this up real quickly, is that like he's an outdoorsman who had to give up everything he loved and all his hobbies for some reason because he had children because God knows kids never go camping or hunting, right? Like like, like his, his family is like totally in another world with regards to like outdoorsiness, camping, hunting, even to the point that this guy like built a log cabin by himself, right? And he had to sell it and never look back because he had kids and I for get reasons. Like, yeah, for, for reasons. For it's reasons. never quite, never quite clear. And it's, I love what you're saying. Like kids never go, families never go camping. Like, uh, kids never, you know, kids never like make a fort in the backyard, yeah. right? Kids like, never end up showing interest in the things that their parents show interest in when they were kids. Right. That never happens. Yeah. Right? Or, like dads, dads never have like a little woodworking, little word woodworking workshop in the garage or something yeah. like that. Like that. No, nothing. That's not possible. He had to repudiate entirely everything yes. that gave him pleasure and yeah. uh you know he <laughs> takes it out on his children yeah. by... as a result like that's why they and the thing is that's why they survive is because he is because he hates technology so much right that he he every so much of what he has is off the grid but but it's off the grid because he hates his family right like and he's and he's sort of he, he does like lead them through these sort of like drills and like tries to teach them things but it's all portrayed as this sort of like crazy disengaged like thing that they that they don't understand but the point the point where this movie really challenged me and i'm not saying it's bad i think this is a feature not necessarily a bug but the point where it challenges me is where they find out that the robots have revolted they have briefly managed to evade the robots by being in a remote place 
Then the dad figures out that they're being tracked through their cell phones, which he doesn't actually know. He just surmises it. He destroys all of his family's cell phones and he cackles with glee while he is doing it. Right. Sure. And this is never repudiated. Like this is the right thing to do in this situation. It is sociopathic yeah, we to could, act that way. We couldn't right? lock like, them. We couldn't put them in a freezer or like a Faraday cage or something. Yeah. We couldn't. It's not we even sociopathic. To, it's too weird to even be sociopathic. It's so cruel. Right. We have to, we yeah. have to like uh, destroy $4,000. But it's of like property. his fantasy. Oh my God. Wouldn't it be great if my kid didn't get to have a cell phone is like his fantasy. Sure. Right. Yeah. Which I get okay. on one level. Sorry, Mark, go ahead. Yep. Okay. I will. I will accept m- m- most of the things that you're you're saying, Peter. Peter but I want to reframe some of them. Uh, working backwards from the most recent, pe- the the last thing you said about uh, him destroying the cell phones, right? Um, now, to be fair to the, to the movie, like it, it is reputed at least a little bit insofar as like you know the daughter um, complains because you know this is part of her creative process, right? You know, filming stuff on her phone. Now, granted, like an important plot point is that she has a, an old school camcorder, right, not connected to the internet. Um, that was also used to film family memories. Um, so she still has a way to, um, you know, uh, experience the world through through the camera lens and and, and a screen, um, just not through through that one in particular. So like there is a bit of an allowance in in that sequence oh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the bigger important thing here is like I do want to back off us off a little bit from the notion that like he really that he he hates his family, right? <laughs> like you know he he does do a lot of things that are mm, uh, not constructive <laughs> to put it kindly. <laughs> Um, he exhibits a lot of, um, you know, he, he is highly alienated from his family. That is yeah. that much is abundantly clear and essential to the plot of the movie. Right. But can we talk about um, the flashback scenes, which may be corn cornball and over the top, but like just like really just like push my my, my parenting buttons really hard. Right. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, him, uh, you know, being very tender to Katie, his, you know, his the daughter uh, uh, from whom which is he, he's very alienated, right? As an infant, as a toddler, as you know, elementary, middle school age child, and they have all these like beautiful, wonderful, ten- tender moments. Um, and uh, d- does that not pull at the heartstrings, Pete? Are you a horrible monster? Is what I'm saying because no, no, um, no, no, no. So <laughs> That, no, that I mean, to have I don't, no I don't, I feel like you're like, going good, What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that like good intention is, is, uh, unassailably there. Right. And it oh, is, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the movie does, you know, take its time in revealing those pieces to you. Although it does not reserve at all, you know, load into the back. It's like, it, it is, we you know, like, sure. Like the movie kicks off with, um, a lot of this conflict and misunderstanding between dad and daughter, but it also like makes sure to put the very sympathetic tear drinking stuff like within the first 15 minutes or so. So you yeah. don't hate him. So you don't think he's a total monster. No, I it's it's tricky because this part of it makes the movie it's it's one of those it's I'm having a life of pie moment. I really am where <laughs> I know this isn't what's happening in the movie. But it's like there's just cuz cuz okay. I mean, Matt, you know what I'm going to say, right? Uh, like the the girl gets eaten by a tiger? No, 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 but like I'm imagining that there is like a horrible plot point in this movie that isn't actually in the movie because the situation seems to to sort of call for it, which is like he's fine with the girl when she's a child. He's fine with the girl when she's a baby. He's fine when she's a toddler. He's fine when she's a child. As she starts to become a woman, there is all of a sudden this huge rift in their relationship, right? And like I get that. I grew up with four sisters. I know what it's like when people become teenagers. And particularly, I know how difficult it can be as a dude dealing with teenage girls 
that you don't really have much of a basis for mutual understanding with, right? Like, like it is a they are in a very alienated time on their own, and and you are probably in an alienated time too. And so there's a lot of alienation that's going on. But it's like the the degree to which he kind of seems to turn on her and what and her interests, right? Because it's like a big part of being a parent and having fun with your kid is like taking joy in the things that make your kid happy is my experience of it, right? So far, I, you know, a year and change in, right? Is like, and it's probably going to change a lot. And I probably sympathize with this guy a lot once my kid right. is a teenager. That's and a, hates I mean, me, right? there's a, there's like, a, a great show that uh, called Dexter that takes this to its logical extreme, <laughs> right? It's where the, the father teaches his son the, you know, ethical, ethical serial murder. So, so what I'm saying is that like, I don't think that the dad actually hates technology that much if we view the flashbacks as reflective of kind of who he would want to be as a father and that being papered over with like pain and alienation, right? And loss, right? I, I lost my dream home. I've lost my kid who I loved because they became this other person when they grew up and I don't connect with them anymore. Like his performative inability to use a computer feels to me in that context as like a begrudging choice that he makes because he can't handle his daughter like growing up, but I mean more than growing up, like becoming a woman, right? Like he is, he is, I mean, I want to say it like maybe he's toxically masculine, right? Like maybe this is, a, I mean, is that what this is? But the thing is that doesn't really read as what the movie's really about, right? Like the movie doesn't comment on or seem to take time with the idea that this is a man's man who has no way of dealing with his gay daughter. Right. Which is also part of what's happening in this movie. Also, Blake Griffin is in this movie. There's a lot happening in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but, but like but like the guy like are we to believe or let me I don't want to say it so accusatorily because this is part of this this mystery of who this family is, which is like a question that is posed to them by the robots destroying the world like directly. Right. Who are you? Why should we care? Um, is the dad so against the daughter going to film school because he wants to possess her as a child still and isn't comfortable with her being an adult? Is it because he hates and fears the interest that she's developed over time because they've taken her away from him and he can't go there with her? But like he seemed to take a lot of joy in the stuff that she did before, you know, and like and even when she was a kid and that stuff, no adult really would care about in the absence of a child. Right. Like so. It just I just it makes me wonder it makes me wonder whether there's some sort of like Freudian thing happening, some sort of weird Freudian psychosexual undercurrent in this movie where like the is the daughter like the mother takes a back seat and the daughter kind of becomes the mother. It's like the coupling of the father and the daughter in the plot of this movie and the sort of mother and the son step back. Right. It's like. Like the mother, I mean, we talked a lot in, the, believe it or not, in a recent podcast episode, we talked a lot about the uh, the phallic mother figure who makes a huge appearance in this movie, right, mm. with the transformation of the mother. So, like, am I, I don't want to read this as a Freudian movie. I don't because it's gross and because it's probably not, you know, constructive or enjoyable uh, and ultimately criticism should be enjoyable. But I'm trying, I'm struggling to, like, how do you – I mean, get in. It happens in real life, so you know what happens. Like how do people get from point A to point B in terms of like becoming that alienated from their children's interests, right? Like it's just it's just this – maybe – I don't know. I don't know whether it's on purpose that the family is ambiguous about how dysfunctional it is in terms of whether they're redeemable or not or whether it is merely like 
much more along the lines of like, we'll do a bunch of scenes about the dad not liking to use a cell phone because that's funny because parents feel out of touch with technology. We'll do a bunch of scenes about the mom, you know, uh, being able to handle combat situations because she's a first grade teacher and teaching first grade is like combat. Right. And it's like, oh, well, the kid likes dinosaurs and this kid likes movies. And like, we'll just follow those patterns. And these just happen to be the ways that they line up. Don't read too much into the fact that like the dad had to take his horns down off the wall when he picked up his daughter, right? <laughs> like that, that 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 that's something that happened, right? <laughs> that there is like a prominent set of antlers in this movie, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> for you, she'll be the horned one wearing the horns. <laughs> Like the dad had the horns with the mom and then the mom, he can't have them with the mom anymore because now he's a dad, which emasculates him because he can't do anything he previously liked. Sorry, Mark, I, I'm going off too much I because I want to hear more about because I believe you and I agree with you. The flashbacks are are they I mean, here's the thing. This could be a comedy. It could be a horror movie. It could be a family adventure movie. Any one of those could be speaking sincerely to that expanse of time and what happens to people over that kind of an expanse of time and of growth and development, right? Let alone that very moment where, like, the dad is pushing, you know, middle age, you know, to the side and is kind of moving towards not really having a whole lot of adventures anymore. And the daughter is, like, totally changing, right? Like, that whole moment can be horrifying. It can be beautiful. It can be funny, which which way did you feel about it? Uh, I guess is my question because I I feel like I'll learn something about how you watch movies. I feel like you can learn a lot about how somebody watches movies from what they think about uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. I think because it's like there's so yeah, many different little threads, you know, so many different little threads. And for All me, right. it's apparently like nightmare fuel. I guess <laughs> I brain I overthink where, it. Where, where, Who do where, you? Where to start? Okay. Yeah. First, we have to start talk with the about... antlers. That was really the most insightful and useful comment. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a good point. I mean, the, the antlers are also just okay. So if you asked me to start there. I'll start there. The, the antlers are, are an avatar as well. Of not just like his outdoorsiness, but it's also his artistic expression. Right. 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 He carved them himself, um, and uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't identify being an artist is not a part of an identity as it is uh, with uh, as it is for his daughter, but he's clearly good at it. Yeah, in that way. So that 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 connection when it's established later is an important one. Okay, but the daughter piece here and the fact that she is a lesbian, right? Yeah, it is um, barely there in subtext in the movie itself, right? There's some allusions to her being different. Um, there's never talk of of any boyfriend or girlfriend sex stuff. Um, at all. I mean, really, the, the, the main romantic spark here is with her like pre-adolescent uh, younger brother and uh, the girl that he discovers who also likes dinosaurs. Right. Which is like that, that that was a little bit weird, certainly. Right. You know, like kind of like that obsession with dinosaurs is something you associate with much younger kids. Right. And not really kind of like on that pre-adolescent adolescence border. But let's put that aside for a second. Right. It is only um, confirmed that um she is well. It's, your first hint that this is that that she's a, a lesbian character is that the movie in Netflix is prominently labeled "Representation Matters." Yes, <laughs> and I wasn't really sure that like diverse characters. Right. You weren't diverse, you weren't sure, sure whether you weren't sure of what Mark you weren't sure whether representation matters. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> clearly Matt, about Matt, robots, sometimes, right? Sometimes. Are you like, like, robots are in this movie? Right, <laughs> silicon based the silicon based life form community yeah. uh, really. Has has a strong representation in this. You know, their their lobby really came together. This no, um, it is only confirmed that Katie Mitchell 
um, uh, is LGBTQ. Uh, in the end credits, when the parents specifically reference, hey, when are you going to bring uh, insert female, you know, decidedly female uh, character Jane, something like that, you know, home so we can meet her kind of thing. Right. And, um, you know, so no plot points in this movie earlier are like, you know, have any like uh, tinges of either gay panic or, um, you know, I am a uh, father and, you know, my I'm frightened or protective of uh, or just otherwise like have an unhealthy relationship with my daughter's sexuality. Right. Not not in the movie. Now, Pete, like it is. But to your point, Pete, like it is absolutely there for the taking one level underneath it. Right. And so I, I would I would argue that that's a strength of the movie that right like you know and and this to be clear this is like you know in the grand tradition of pixar movies right you know playing at two at least two different levels or at least age-wise right for the parents and then for the children um and i would also say like it's within that it's playing to uh children of many different ages um my sister uh, watched this movie with her children who like the oldest of which is like pushing pre-adolescence Right. And the other ones are decidedly elementary school aged and um, everybody was able to take something away from it and enjoy that. Um, the parents enjoyed it as well, too. And, um, and and yes. Right. You know, if a parent wants to watch this and like, you know, um, and is dealing with those sorts of like, you know, sexual issues in terms of alienation with their children and want to take that away um, and like perhaps have some level of, you know, relationship and catharsis from the decidedly non surface level non sexual story that's going on here, like more power to this movie. That was can, it. Can I, can I, I, cause I, I sort of have a great, I, I think I can fix it. Okay. <laughs> I think I can fix it all. And it, it boils down to something that I said. Uh, it's something that I said earlier. Like, I, I think the ages are wrong in, in mm. the movie. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that like, it it becomes a uh, uh, like a, a sort of uncomfortable Freudian psychosexual drama if uh, the young woman is in fact a, a young adult, right? Like is yeah. is uh, going to college is actually you know capable of independence. I I think she should be like fourteen, and mm-hmm. if she's fourteen, a lot of this stuff that just a lot a lot of the stuff that uh, d- uh what do people her age say hits different yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> as uh in this um right in this context makes a lot of sense right because it's the it's the age where everyone is kind of like clumsily coming to some sort of accommodation with you know uh with the idea that that the child is on a path to adulthood right and like the child is clearly not capable like an adult you know is not you know tasked with the kind of the the responsibilities or the privileges of an adult you know um right like can't sign a contract can't join the military can't own property you know like that uh and also the parents are really new in like a first child, a first teenager, like, it, you know, it's a big adjustment for parents. And so like some, some maladaptive stuff, you know, is likely, is likely to happen. And it, it's sort of like, uh, I, I, I know I said at the beginning that she seems like she's 17, but she has the problems of a 15 year old in terms of like, Oh, my family just doesn't understand me. But I wonder actually if that, if it isn't even more profound than that. And I, I was, you know, uh, put back onto this line of thinking when, when Mark pointed out that the little brother, um, 
right? The little brother who is, I don't know what, 11 or 12 or something has the interests of, uh, uh, has the interests of like a six or seven year old, right? Yeah. And so if you age everyone back in this movie, four years, uh, four to five years, actually a lot of the, a lot of the family stuff starts to make a more sense, starts to make more sense in terms of like kind of the, uh, some of the dad's kind of maladaptive behavior in terms of like the, the, like the, the best friendship of the siblings being broken by, you know, the, the kind of the onset of a life change in, in my theory, the life change being adolescence rather than, you know, departure for college. But like, um, you know, that, that sort of, that sort of makes sense, right? When that, you know, you, you don't want to be, you don't want to be best, best friends with your, uh, you know, uh, uh, latency period sibling when uh you know when you're uh, about to hit puberty yourself like it's not it's not cool anymore and that like and you know you can actually clean up a lot of you can clean up a lot of stuff if you just if you just mentally transpose you know in this way and i i guess i wonder i wonder if the trip to college wasn't like a way to to make a road trip you know that felt highly motivated that felt like a like a um high stakes road trip you know where where the road trip was like both literally and figuratively about like leaving leaving your family about kind of going going from one place to another literally and going from one place to another figuratively that is to say a minor child in your family to like being a a independent young independent young adult. And, you know, I don't know if, if you do that, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. I think it gets you something. I think it recovers something for you in terms of being able to kind of like make sense, uh, to, to like connect the dots of the way the dad behaves, you know, and the way the, the family is sort of coping with it in a way that, that doesn't force you into a bunch of, yeah, that doesn't force you into a bunch of knots trying to like account for this, this frankly really, uh, you know, this sort of really narcissistic behavior on the part of the father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very different to like cancel your kid going to camp to take them on a family vacation than to cancel them going to college, right. To drive yeah. them there. That, that, that I totally am buying this, that this, that in fact, as I think about it, it feels pretty elegant. If everybody is, if you D game of Thrones, it right. Right. Where it's like in game of Thrones in the books, everybody's younger and it's weird and creepy. So they make everybody older in the TV show. It's still weird and creepy, but much less so. And then in the, in, in this one, let's go the other way. Let's imagine a little bit what it's like. Yeah. Cause because then it's like, oh, I'm going to take away your phone. You say that to a 14 year old, it's right. still something they would disagree with. But you're still within your rights as your as a parent, right? Right, like pretty reasonably to be like, you can't use this, right? So you're not going to get to use it, right? Whereas when you say that to an actual adult, <laughs> it's like it's right. that's is that's it, not that's a hostage situation. <laughs> is it even logistically possible for a parent to cancel? his 18 year old daughter's plane ticket without her consent, right? She needs to do, she needs to get emails about her school on her phone, right? right? Like she has to sign a FAFSA, right? (laughs) Right, did she book that through her own Orbitz account? (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and all the more so because you've destroyed her computer by like yes, you yeah. it. That, that part really threw it. That was part of where the movie really turned for me, because I'm like destroying a computer is like pretty serious. 
that's not the same as destroying like their Game Boy, right? Sure. And even that, when that happened to me, it was pretty serious. Like, you know, I mean, it turned out to be okay, but I thought it was destroyed. I was very upset. I was like 14. Uh, so that's about the time where your electronics get bashed. Um, I mean, you you would be apologetic. Yeah. So, so okay. So do we want to switch gear? I'm sorry, Mark. Did you want to address that point before switching gears to talk more about gears? Um, let, let's, let's, since we, since we, uh, ended the family discussion with the smash laptop, this seems like a, a good of an opportunity as any to talk about good. the gears and the smash your laptops, get freedom, smash your laptops. You have nothing to, to lose, but surveillance capitalism. Look, it's going to, it's going to really suck when our kids hate us. Isn't it, Mark? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Here's what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's going to be I, the worst. I love them. I love him so We're going much to, we're going to find, we're going to find a moment. Uh, for them to accidentally discover this particular episode of the or thinking of podcasts and it will fill them with tears and empathy for their misunderstood fathers. I, I want yeah. I want to explain to you two uh as non-Californians um <laughs> some okay. some crucial things that you need to understand in in order to understand what this film is really about. This okay. film is about how Los Angeles is superior to San Francisco. Okay, <laughs> I, I, that's not disputed. We are we're, we're very much in agreement. With you that's, that. this, I mean, like, this film is about how Los Angeles is a creative utopia where we all have like slip and slide parties in the hallways of our university dormitories, right? <laughs> and how San Francisco is a sterilized, dystopic, geometric, uh, you know, un unkind, megalomaniacal. Uh, you know, bastion of surveillance capitalism, extracting, extracting and not, uh, not returning value the way that every single YouTube video on YouTube returns value to the whole, <laughs> so, so to the okay, whole, so the, 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 the slip and slice might be a bit of an exaggeration. But, 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 but how do you justify them with the water restrictions? Man? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's community. Look, it's not a lawn, Pete. Like the worst, worst thing <laughs> you, you can, can do. Your house. You can pour water th- all over your carpet. <laughs> <laughs> worst thing you can do is have a lawn, you know? Yeah, I'd, ra- I'd rather you have a swimming pool than a lawn. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Mark, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just agreeing with, aside from the slip of slight point, I was agreeing with everything that Matt was saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, so, it is funny. Yeah. yeah, go for it. And and this is you know uh, th- this is why this is why this film is important because it's it's really important that people understand that Los Angeles is superior to San Francisco um, culturally yes but also you know let's not neglect to say morally and uh, you know and uh, thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> what role does Blake Griffin play in all of this? <laughs> Because he's been in all of those teams, right? Like he's been on. Was he on the King? Oh, he's in the Clippers. <laughs> Pete, this is this is the, what the NBA basketball player who plays the tech mogul. Like, yeah, it's kind of some, like combination yes. Steve Jobs. Uh, uh, I, 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 the, the, like the combi- the amalgam of Google and Apple and Amazon, but not Netflix though. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's like it's pure and clear. Oh, actually, just I personally mentioned that a brief side note about um, this movie's production history. It was supposed to be a Sony, uh, a Sony Pictures theatrical release um, in 2020, but it kept getting delayed because of the pandemic. And eventually, Sony was like, um, "Let's just sell this to Netflix. We can make some money and let them deal with it." Netflix puts the movie out. I wonder if that might maybe change some of the con- context there around the fact that like it was a uh, quote unquote traditional entertainment player. 
making this movie and you know taking all these barbs so, at technology so, companies. So, no, I don't think he was Sony the- Pictures is in Culver City. Now to get there, you get on the ten. Right. And you can get off at Overland or you can get off at Robertson, depending on where you're coming from. Right. You're going to turn south in uh, in either case. Now, if you're coming on Robertson, you can you can't turn left on Culver because they have it all blocked off for parklets and things like this. So you're going to have to turn left on Madison and go in the Madison gate under the giant rainbow. (laughs) Stuart, what are you doing here? It's like a four-story rainbow structure on the Sony lot. Blake Griffin isn't the voice of the mogul. Eric Andre is the voice of the mogul, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So Blake Griffin is the – so, okay. So the other part of the plot here, and I will explain this in terms of the actors who voice the characters because it is that much funnier. So Eric – so – uh, Dada is talk show host. Eric Andre is a tech mogul that runs all of Suicide, uh, Suicide Valley, Silicon Valley, uh, <laughs> um, with his thousand dollar hoodies and streetwear and everything. And he has been assisted in all this by Academy Award winning actress Olivia Coleman, uh-huh. who plays Siri, right? Who plays like his cell phone, his his automated assistant on his cell phone, who uh, has been helping him do all of these things. He then announces at a big uh, tech direct conference of some kind that Olivia Coleman is being replaced by Blake Griffin, who does not voice the mogul, but in fact, voice the second upgrade to Siri. That's going to replace Siri, right. And be an internet of things, Siri that will exist inside of all the robots, right. Pal max prime, uh, is Blake Griffin. Um, so he does not have that big of a role in the movie. And, and my thinking that he did, uh, is very different. Um, although he is assisted by such other robots, as uh, uh, Conan O'Brien and Fred Armisen and stuff. So, yes. So this is so. OK, so on one half of the movie is this dysfunctional family, which is dealing with this adolescent girl's relationship with her dad and uh, and how it's it's contentious because they got along a lot better before she hit puberty and now they don't get along anymore. And that's become a big wedge in the family. Right. Then on the other side, you have a situation where the the tech mogul is just throwing away essentially a female member of his family who is like kind mm-hmm. of like his daughter, right, to replace right. her because she's no longer serving the purpose that she needs to serve. And she res- she responds by erasing him and all of humanity, right, by by seizing control of his empire, by mobilizing all of the robots and by posing the question to everybody, what is what is good about any of humanity? Right. So it's parallel. Right. Like the relationship of the dad and the daughter is parallel to the relationship of the tech mogul and his cell phone, who is the big bad of the movie. Right. Um, which is clever and fun. Uh, uh, and I mean, the and the the like the cell phone when when they confront each other. Right. Like the cell phone mirrors back to her kind of what her own. Uh, solipsistic teenage thinking is, which is like, it would be better not to have this family, right? Like, yeah. though, uh, though it's, you know, on a grander scale, it would be better not to have any relationships, which means like killing all people or like putting them in pot. I'm not totally sure what the, the, you know, it, it kind of like the, the movie kind of writes, writes some checks that you probably shouldn't cash in terms of yeah. like, uh, in terms of scariness, like some of the character design, like of the, of the upgraded killer robots. That's, that was pretty scary. I thought uh, a lot of it and some of the, some of the implications of stuff or some of the implied stuff that is not, um, 
Yeah, it struck me as like being maybe a touch intense uh, for an all ages kids movie. But I guess this is like they're just going to blast them off into space. Yeah, and like uh, to, keep them keep them happy with a you know keep them happy with a a little drip of like happy videos or something like that. I don't know. They, they, yeah, they were, they were going to matrix them essentially. There's a lot of parts of this movie that are conspicuously smooth because they sanded off the obvious PG-13 rated content. Because it's like the robots are killing people. I mean, like of course they are, right? There are whole buildings bursting into flames and car wrecks all over the place. But we're supposed to believe that the robots are safely depositing all the people in these entertainment boxes. It's like it's like they're being sent to a farm upstate where they get to run and play. Right. It's like the movie is pulling its punch that it doesn't scare the little kids. But we all know what's really happening, Uh, which is I feel like the movie was like this in a lot of ways where it's like it wanted to say one thing, but it's a children's movie. And so it made something much more awkward that kind of covered over it uh, so that you didn't have to worry about the thing that it actually wanted to say. Uh, to which but, I say, yeah. again, like, you know, to the point of the previous conversation, parents can fill in the gaps uh, yeah. if they choose to and have that sort of, you know, uh, that overlay. That's true. That's true. And and the kids will. And so it's a, it's accomplishing its purpose. But it is yeah. it is doing that for sure. So so I guess so the, here's the I think the most interesting question. I think we've touched on it before. There's no good answer for the cell phone. Like the cell phone never gets a good answer to her question. The answer to the question is I will kill you. Right. Like, like the reason that I will exist and you won't is that I will kill you. And there doesn't need to be a reason that humans yeah, are good. Yeah. Right. Like it's, 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 that's that, a good, it, that's a good, like Starship Troopers answer to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to a Star Trek question. I'm reminded of, uh, have you read Dan Simmons, the Hyperion cantos? Uh, uh no, sir. It's a sci-fi series that is largely concerned among many other things with an internal, kind of uh, intellectual debate among advanced artificial intelligences as to what to do with humans, right? Whether to keep them around, whether to genocide them, right? Should we continue to maintain ourselves as artificial intelligences in ways that like relate to them and how they see the world? Or should we kind of reimagine ourselves as kind of greater things uh, than they could comprehend? Um, And there's kind of a civil war among the machines. And there's a lot of and it's, it happens later in the series. The beginning of the series is much more punchy and horror movie-ish. But it's like there aren't really good answers to these questions, right? Like like if you could answer the question of why a robot should care about a person, you would be able to answer the question of why a person should care about a person. And as we can tell from the world, that's an answer. That's a question that like a lot of people think the answer is obvious. Uh, but in practice, the answer is somewhat difficult, right? Well, the, like, I mean, uh, the, to be fair, the cell phone asks two questions, like asks at least yeah. two questions, right? Which are sure. not they, they they are related, kind of in the plot of the movie, but they're not necessarily the same question. Like, and one is like, why should I care about humans and stop my stop my megalomaniacal evil plan to to you know I don't know ship you all off to space or something. Um, to grind you into space sausage. I mean, what I, you know, I don't know the, the, the evil plan is left. The end game is left as an exercise to the viewer. But the, um, the other question is like, isn't it better just to be alone? You know? Yeah. And and that's the question that the, that the daughter answers, right? Like, and as a 14 year old, you know, uh, she, you know, she's learned that actually there, there are more important things than, uh, there are more important things than like, um, I don't know, being, 
that that actually this family thing, even though I am pushing very hard against it because I'm a 14 year old and and, you know, sort of trying out my my own identity and like what what it would mean internally to kind of uh, define myself, you know, not just as a member of a family. I can also stay a member of a family and these things, uh, you know, this thing has has value. So I think you're right to say that it doesn't answer question A, but but to a certain extent, it answers question B again, provided you you, you know, just in your head canon you roll roll the age back um several years in this uh in in um you know evaluating what the people do and what it means that they're doing the things that uh doing the things that they're doing is there anything about the style of the movie that that struck you the kind of like the you know hyperkinetic i I don't even know what to to compare it to the sort of uh lenses the snapchat uh lenses that are applied the kind of like the freeze frames i think of it like as a scott pilgrim uh versus the world style but then again i'm you know 41 and that would be my reference point i'm sure there is like either a national cinema you know or a or a like a trend in in online video that I don't know because I'm just too old um where where this sort of thing is is common but the just the kind of like the constant metatextuality of the movies like the idea with the voiceover and the kind of foregrounding of film as a as an artifact like as a made thing um the the kind of the implication that this is actually like something that Katie made after the fact you know that so that we're watching an account that's a subjective account you know with an un reliable narrator, et cetera, of, um, you know, of what, of what the whole journey meant and stuff like that. I don't know. There, there, there are some, some building blocks to, to go with. Was there anything, um, in the, in the visuals or in the, the style of the animation that, that struck either of you? I don't know, Mark, you, you, I, I feel like we've, uh, uh, railroaded your, your fun movie. So why don't, why don't no, you no, 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 no. This, this has been an excellent discussion. Um, the, the first word that comes to mind, I've read this in a lot of reviews is that it gives the movie a frenetic feel, which is fair. It is accurate. Right. Um, specifically what we're talking about, right. is like the smash cuts. It's like, there's this thing like, you know, freeze frame and then like blaring fast music hits. And then like the hand drawn animation, Thing comes up and it's like just like very popping and flashing um that might have an aesthetic reference to you know in youth culture which we are just totally oblivious to and you know what i'm okay with that <laughs> right the, yeah the brick a lot the like the the constant uh the someone actually in, in when i was in drama school right the the film professor the director gil cates said uh, once defined style you know in a kind of a workmanlike way as a movie director might define it style is a consistent distance from reality um is what he said about mm-hmm. it and like if you think like you know if you think of that that's a good that's a good movie director way to think about it because it guides choices uh you know like is this am i keeping a consistent distance from reality with a with a particular stylistic choice and yeah. like one of one of the features of this was that it jumped all over the place from like computer animation to hand drawn animation to actual uh video footage you know uh etc cetera, etc cetera. so to which i would say like the i suppose the inconsistency is a consistency in and of itself Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah, not? I mean, and, and that and, and that um, I am given to believe from my paper thin understanding of youth culture 
is in keeping with like um you know just the, the bricolage is a good word that you described it right it's just like just drawing from anything and everything and um not necessarily in a consistent way just because the technology enables it the other, the other I think thing part I'm, of it. I'm sorry pete you probably want to get a get a word in here but the the other thing that that strikes me is that like if you ever encounter you know, if you ever encounter a young person in the wild, like if, if you have among your like nieces or nephews or second cousins or whatever, uh, a teenager, um, like a high school age teenager, I, I'm given to understand that like th- the mode of media consumption is like multiple simultaneous, uh, you know, as opposed to like uh, the, the way we did it back in the day where we put pong on a giant projector screen and just <laughs> stared at it because yeah. there, there oh. wasn't anything else that like the you're facetiming your friends and there's something on the uh on the like the tv the living room tv and you know you're playing a video on your ipad and also playing Fortnite or something yeah. and the you know that this that this is the thing this and then the actually thing. there's something there's something to that like if if this is your mode of media consumption there's going to be more and more stylistically stuff where that, you know, there is a hybrid, um, you know, that there is a kind of a hybrid style, uh, to it because it's going to be, it's going to be mirroring this experience. Yeah. I know in the past, and I brought this on the podcast, but it's worth bringing up again is that Steven Soderbergh on an airplane witnessed exactly what you were describing. Oh uh, yeah. Some, some, some young person like, you know, consuming like four or five different modes, of, and he was like, uh, I retire. At the same time. <laughs> I, re- I retire from with, filming. <laughs> if I remember the antidote correctly, it was a mi- with a mixture of horror and fascination. Sure. <laughs> the prophet sure. Steven Soderbergh. All right, Pete, I'm sorry. You should get in. So let me tell, tell, give my totally different explanation for the visual vocabulary of this movie. I thought the character design for the movie was pretty compelling um, and, and difficult and challenging. And again, contrast the character design in the promotional art for this movie with the character design of the actual images in the movie. It is not similar. Uh, the character design in the promotional imagery is very uh, sort of moderate and balanced and kind of geometrically unchallenging, whereas the characters in the actual movie are like busy and complicated and have multiple different conflicting shapes happening at any given time in their character design. So, so what I will say as a, as a prelude to this, this movie claims to be an interrogation of the practice of using your cell phone to do stuff. And I think it is perhaps a better interrogation of the ideology of Dieter Rams, right? Go on, please. Let me, so I'm Dieter just gonna, Rams yeah. is, of course, is the German guru of uh, industrial commercial product design, like sort of consumer product design from Braun, who has been cited as sort of the patron saint of iPod and iPhone design and as such of kind of modern design concepts. And, and it, he the most, these, the, if you recall the iPhone 4, uh, the one that had the antenna gate um, kind of tempest in a teapot. That was that was the most Dieter Rams esque of the. That was the most in homage to the to those brawn um, apply home appliances like yeah. small appliances, coffee makers, and and I don't know record players and what have you. Yeah, and if you contrast something like a VCR you had the eighties with an iPhone, obviously the iPhone does more, but the iPhone has the very sort of sleek, sensible in the sense of like you can look at it and figure out what it's supposed to do. Right. Like uh, and and there's these famous Ten Commandments that Dieter Rams hands down about design that really do inform a lot of how product design happens, experience design happens and even art happens. 
since the iPhone in particular really proliferated, right? Uh, it's innovative, it's uh, useful, right? It is aesthetic as well as functional, right? Uh, it is. It helps, the design guides you toward understanding what the thing is. It is unobtrusive, it doesn't make a big like show of itself. It's honest and durable, uh, consistent to the last detail and concerned with the environment in which it finds itself uh, and, and is sort of minimalist to an extent, right? As little as possible. The characters, the human characters in the Mitchells versus the machines, the Mitchells are the opposite of all of these. <laughs> they, their, their design is not innovative. Oh, I'm a dad with a plaid shirt and a beard, right? It's not useful, right? It actually makes it kind of hard. So that there's so many little details. I'm just, I'm going to look at a still image right now of the mom who I think is voiced by Maya Rudolph. Uh, in this movie. Um, so there's a there's a plot point in this movie where the mom makes a cupcake that has the daughter's face on it and the daughter's face is melting, which is pretty much as far away from an iPhone as you could possibly get in terms of design. <laughs> so like she has these she has little heart earrings. The mom is wearing little heart earrings through the entire movie that never really come up. Right. That don't they're not really part of her personality. Um, she has like many of the characters. She combines aggressive squareness with with sort of warped roundness, which are you would generally think of as two different character designs, right? Like the sort of core geometry of a character tends to either be what, like square, circular, or triangular. When you're talking about animated characters, right, and and they tend to be built out of these sort of basic shapes, and these basic shapes are tend to be believed to have certain kind of personality elements, right? Right, round characters are seen in a certain way, triangular characters are seen in a certain way, and square characters are seen in a certain way. The Mitchells are all combinations of all of them. Like the dad is a big, the dad is supposed to be square, but he has a big round belly and he has a jagged triangle nose between his big circular eyes. So yeah. like there's part kind of, of him that kind of in dialogue with, with Mr. Incredible, but you know, a, a kind of really funhouse mirror version. Exactly. It's like warped and confusing. It's like, who is this person supposed to be? Right. The mom has like a sweatshirt around her waist that's that's striped or has a pattern on it. You can't see. She has like mismatched symbols on her shirt. She has she has like is her hair sort of going gray and it's wild and short. Right. Like the mom, the daughter's short hair is a sexual identify signifier. The mom's short hair isn't right. And so, like, there's all these, like, little things about the complexity of the way the characters are designed that makes them alienating and difficult to pin down, which I think is a big part of the point. Because the machines, the thing that makes the machines the machines isn't that they like iPhones, right? Isn't necessarily that they plan things. It's that they make sense, right? Like, the machines do things that make sense. Mm. They are designed, and it's their visual and aesthetic sense of this, right? They're elegant and clean and functional, right? Even the scary machines are, like, 100% scary, right? And they don't, they're not abominations like the little dog with the poked-out eyes, <laughs> right? And even, <laughs> even to the extent where, like, the machines that become friends with the humans – end up scrawling warped human faces on them on their like blank black face plates face plates right so they have these sort of like warped and ugly visages that signify to everybody that they're on the side of the humans the humans are ugly in this movie and the machines are beautiful the 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 rocket to shoot all people into space to doom them is pretty right it's bright green the little hexes that everybody lives in wandavision style are very pretty Right. Like the reflected light 
of all of the humans being carried away by laser beams to their demise is like a is like reminiscent of the beautiful light that the uh, the L.A. denizens look up at in Independence Day, believing to be rescued by the aliens. Right. It's there's this there's this sick beauty to it. Right. Um, and the and the humans are ugly, and they even the and then like I guess what the standoff against the Furby is something we haven't talked about too, which is this sort of like ultimate ugliness that is almost like a reflection of themselves. Like this is what you want, right? This is the thing that you wanted. You're an idiot, right? Um, and so yeah, so I think that that ultimately, part of why it might be a feature rather than a bug that the Mitchells are hard to pin down as being like horror movie protagonists or family movie protagonists is that like their ugliness is what differentiates them from the computers. Um, and in that sense, that's supposed that I think we can see as something that is uh, sympathetic to the human condition, right? Like we're the ugly ones. Um, sure. We've been outclassed. Yeah. The, the world's end is a, is a film that comes to mind in this connection, mm-hmm. right? To where the, the, um, the, it's the it's the almost kind of antisocial. It's the it's the sociopathic tendencies of the uh, of the protagonists, right? That that make them worth saving. Yeah. And this is <laughs> or Mrs. This, Doubtfire. Sure, <laughs> it's both Pierce Brosnan and his villainous, right? In both of them, I'm not sure. He's so pretty. Uh, like, uh, I mean, we should, we're on this topic. We should add that the Mitchell's family uh, appearance is contrasted not only with the machines, but also with their neighbors. Yes, right. yes. Who are very who, who sleek are, and Instagram John friendly. Legend and Chrissy Teigen. Right, like like yeah. fictional, thinly fictionalized versions of them, too, right? <laughs> no, they're voiced by them, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, there, there you go. They're all uh, Blake Griffin. By the way, Blake Griffin is every character in this movie. Chrissy Teigen got a bass, basset hound, so she can do no wrong, in my view, so that's yeah, uh, definitely. But yeah, but Mark, do you want to unpack the Joneses, or whatever it is they're called, a little bit? Oh, I mean, just like just, uh, some of the plot points on here, right? Like um, they are um, they have that kind of Instagram perfect life um, mm-hmm. that the Mitchells are envious of um, because they seem much more put together than they are. Um, interestingly, though, that I think this is an idea that isn't fully cashed out. Right. They don't have they don't turn out to have like, the obvious thing to do would be to show them with um, serious uh, deficiencies or flaws. Um, behind that Instagram thin um, veneer of perfection, um, but that doesn't really come up, right? They're pretty competent. I think did they did they get, wind up getting captured by the machines? They just yeah. I mean, I they just got yeah, unlu- yeah they did, else. but uh, yeah. they got unlucky. But uh, you know, at the end when they see the Mitchells, you know, uh, wreaking destruction upon the uh, you know upon the machine uprising, right? Uh, the mom says like, "Oh, bro, I, I'm a, I'm even a, uh, the mom of this this perfect family says to." Um, Mrs. Mitchell, like, I'm even a little bit jealous of you. Uh, you know what? You've inspired me to follow you on Instagram. Mom's like, you you weren't following me on Instagram? And the, and the joke is like, shh, 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 just accept it. Just take it. You know, and, and she walks <laughs> away. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing in which, like, the thing is the thing it looks like, right? Like, your, your perfect neighbors next door with who, like, take their child on a 10 day silent meditation retreat or whatever it is, right? Like, is, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, they, they actually are like that. It's not, it's not like there are, are sort of hidden depths to, to, to that. And, and to that point, and maybe we can wrap on this here, is that this movie does not really give, a sort of third way approach to this like fundamental question of how is it that this society um, can uh, incorporate um, this crazy technology um, that we've unleashed upon 
ourselves in a in a better productive way that doesn't alienate uh, us from each other like that the movie posits that it is is doing uh, at the beginning of it right, right. um you know th- there is of course the the nod to the fact that like you know the same company that um harvested people's uh you know personal data and invaded their privacy and unleashed a robot apocalypse is also the same company that um, created the film, the, this in-universe version of YouTube, um, which has allowed Katie Mitchell's creativity to flourish and, and find an audience and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And at the end, like, you know, people don't, you know, destroy their phones. People are still using FaceTime. Um, you know, society has not rewritten its social contract <laughs> to accommodate <laughs> this new understanding of technology and the fact that it can destroy itself uh, with this technology. So, you know, fine, that, that, that that's a check that doesn't quite get cashed uh, by the end of it. But, um, you know, uh, uh, friends, does does the Terminator really come down on on the, on that? Uh, <laughs> come down hard on on a, on the answer to that question. I mean, Not I feel really, like no. I feel like it does other th- things though. I feel like the thumbs up as he uh, goes into molten lava is all the commentary that you need. And in, in, uh, <laughs> you know, please um, like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. In, in the future Terminator movies, they should have the what the heart. <laughs> he he makes a little heart with his two hands. He bends his fingers and <laughs> puts his hands together as he he goes into the lava. Or care, <laughs> which is the most. the most patronizing of them all uh mark i think you're right i think we need to leave it there but thank you very much uh for listening to the overthinking podcast this has been episode 685 man crawling up crawling up slowly on uh on 700 here i can't can't believe it um and uh thanks very much mark for bringing this movie to our attention and pete for joining the conversation and and having a great talk with us here uh today well we'll be back with more overthinking a podcast next week till then visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve dog pig loaf of bread <laughs>